Hey everyone, my name is Ming and I'm so excited to be a part of this celebration service with you all. It's wonderful to be able to see and celebrate all that God has been doing amongst us. But even more than that, I'm also excited to be opening up God's Word in Psalm 19 with you and to just, just stand back and be amazed by our great God. So let's pray together as we start. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open up your word today, help us to see it as a joy, as a delight, as a privilege. And may we see your goodness in this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a confession to make. One of my coping mechanisms in life when things get tough is to say to myself, ignorance is bliss. And there are lots of benefits from not knowing things, aren't there? It lets us off the hook. It gives us an excuse. It means we're given the benefit of the doubt. And so, hoping to reap these benefits, we can spend lots of time and energy making sure we stay ignorant. Instead of opening up that message or that email, we make sure we don't open it. Instead of tracking our expenses, we just turn a blind eye. We avoid looking. We even do it with our spiritual lives. We don't want to think about getting old or, or the purpose of life or what God has to say about this or that. We say ignorance is bliss. But the reality is there are just some things in life you can't ignore. They're too big, too important, too central to life to ignore them. And the biggest of all these is God. As we turn to Psalm 19 today, we see that it's actually knowledge of God that's bliss, not ignorance. Let's jump in. In the Psalm, we see three revelations. And the first is the revelation of God's glory. God has revealed himself and his glory in creation. Have a look with me, Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2. Let's read together. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. Just look at what these verses say. Notice how it's all about speaking. Declaring, proclaiming, pouring out speech. Creation, the world around us, is bursting with news so great, it just can't hold back. From everything known to everything unknown, it's shouting out, God is glorious. And what's more, this message is constant. Day after day, night after night, you can't shut it up. It's ongoing, it doesn't end, it never gets old. The one constant of everything in this universe is its message. God made this and God is amazing. From the amoeba to the antelope, from the depths of the sea to the stars in the sky, every color, taste, smell, all of it is shouting out, God is glorious. Now, it's not as if we can literally hear this. You know, it's not like we can go up to a tree, put our ear to it, and hear it talking to us. Have a look with me. Verse 3. There is no speech. 
There are no words. Their voice is not heard. We don't see God skywrite the words, Jesus is God in the clouds, do we? It's not like some secret voice we need to be listening out for. Because the point creation is trying to make doesn't need words. It speaks for itself. In my first year of high school, we had to all study Latin. And one of the assignments we were given was to make a model of something. Anything from the period of time that Latin was spoken. Each year, my school would display all the finished assignments, all the finished products to everyone in the school hall. And I remember that day vividly. Walking through the aisles, seeing all the incredible things my fellow students had made on display. There were replicas of ancient Roman ships, temples, little wooden soldiers, all painted beautifully. And then there, at the end, where they put all the worst projects, was my budget little wax tablet. Something I cooked up in a few minutes with some candles in a pot. Now, granted, I nearly passed with the amazing mark of 4 out of 10. But that's what I deserved. Because you see, the workmanship always says something about the workman, doesn't it? The quality of a product always says something about its designer. And so it is with creation and what it's telling us about God. You know, I find it interesting that as science has advanced through the years and has explained more about our world, as we understand just how big the universe really is and how little we actually know, it's interesting how many people are willing to say, Because of science, we now know there's no need for God. You know, they say, because we've worked out how the sun works or how our human bodies operate, we don't need God anymore. Yet, the reality is, the more scientists learn about our world, the more they can't help but be convinced there's something going on here. To the question of whether there exists a creator and ruler of the universe has been answered in the affirmative by some of the highest intellects that have ever existed. Said Charles Darwin. Yes, the evolution guy said that. The great minds behind great discoveries can't help but marvel at God. See, when we consider creation its size, its detail, its beauty, its mysteries. There is a message it's making. God made all this, and God is amazing. And it's not just a constant, self-evident message, but it's also a universal one as well. Have a look with me at verse 4. Their message has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Creation's message is not like some memo you can miss at work or a missed call on your phone. You don't need the internet to search for it. You don't need to go anywhere to find it. The very fact we think our thoughts, breathe the air that fills our lungs, all of that points to God's glory. 
We can literally see this message with our eyes closed. And so, if this is all true, we might be left wondering, why doesn't everyone believe in God? And the New Testament picks up on this idea and expands on it. Read with me Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For his, God's, invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Now, creation might not say everything about God, but what it does say, it says very clearly. And it's not that people don't get this message. It's, what, it's that we have what we might call selective hearing. The other day, Angela told me I had spoken to her quite harshly the night before. So getting defensive, I insisted to her, there's no way I would have spoken to her that way. Later on, I remembered we have a baby monitor that records the last 24 hours. So I thought, great, this will help me prove my point. So I went back on the recording and after hearing my own voice, my face sunk. I was so deaf that I couldn't even hear the tone of my own voice that night. We so often hear what we want to hear and don't hear what we ought. And we do this all the time with creation's message about God. So there's two ways that we selectively hear this message. The first is when we insist on hearing less than what creation is saying. It's when people claim that science has explained away God. It's when people marvel at the beauty of the world around them, but never stop to actually thank the author of it all. It's these people that try to play the ignorant card to creation's message. But the second way, the second way we selectively hear is when we insist on hearing more than what creation is saying. It's those times when religion turns the universe into gods or spirits and ends up worshipping them instead of God. It's when people look to the stars and think it's going to tell them their fortune. It's these people that hear creation's message, but hear more than what it's saying. Everyone in this world can see creation's message clearly. But the sad reality is, as Romans 1.25 puts, let's read it together. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the creator. Can I encourage you to put God back into your speech about this world? Instead of simply calling it nature, call it creation. Talk about its design, its authorship. As you stand there with your friends, marveling at the night sky or admiring the different landscapes, don't, don't let them selectively hear. Join creation and speak about how amazing God is. This is one of the great joys we have as Christians. To point people, not just to the beauty around them, but to point them to who's behind it all. See, today, as we celebrate God's work amongst us, remember to celebrate the God who made us and sustains us. 
We are part of God's incredible creation that declares His glory. We were made to magnify our God. We were made to speak, to marvel, to sing about His goodness. So let's keep doing that. Now, that was just the first revelation. The revelation of God's glory. And despite how good all that sounds, it's important to see the limits of what creation can say. See, God has revealed enough of himself in creation that we are without excuse. We aren't ignorant. But to truly know God, to truly know what he's like and find ultimate joy and salvation, we need something better. We need God's word. Have a look with me. Psalm 19 verse 7 and 9. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. In these verses, there are six different names for God's word. And they're all painting a picture of the different aspects of God's word, the Bible. And, and, and notice how all these names belong to God. They are of the Lord. And the simple point here is the book you have in your hands or on your phone, comes from the very breath of God himself. The God who spoke creation into being speaks those very same words to you and me. Now, you might have noticed an odd one out, the fear of the Lord. That doesn't sound like a book, does it? See, this fear isn't about being scared of God, like we need to run away from him. It actually means to respect and be in awe of God, to revere him like no other. And it fits really nicely with the other five. Because you see, the fear of the Lord always runs in parallel with the word of the God. Your attitude to the Bible reflects your attitude to God. Your attitude to God will always be reflected in your attitude to his word. They go both ways. The two are tied so closely that if you've got a problem with what's in the Bible, then you've got a problem with God. Now, as we hear that, I get it. I find stuff in the Bible I wish wasn't there. I find stuff that seems to make it harder to fit in or live in this world. But as we wrestle with that, we've got to ask ourselves, am I going to change? Or am I going to try to make God change? Because, of course, God wins that fight every time. Notice also in these verses, the qualities of God's word here. God's word is perfect. It's radiant. It's desirable. See, we naturally get how radiant or delightful creation is. But we often miss the radiance or perfection of God's word. And I'm not just talking about this book 
Although there's a lot to admire here. But I'm talking about the fact that God speaks and he speaks to us personally. Last week was Father's Day. It was my first Father's Day and I got to wake up to a very special gift. This book. And what a special book this is. It's got my son's name on the front cover and it talks about how much he loves me, his dad. And it's a beautiful book. The pictures are great. The story is wonderful. But what made it special, what made it perfect, was that it was from Angela and our baby boy, Timothy. And so it is with God's word. It is his personal gift to you. It has a wonderful story, a beautiful message, but most of all, it's God, it's from God himself to you. And this is true, not just for one generation, not just for one group of people, not just for one culture. This is true for all people for all time. What magazine, which website, what YouTube channel fits this description? Which painting, which newspaper would you call perfect, trustworthy, pure? There's nothing that fits this description. Nothing except God's very own words. And these verses, they don't just describe God's word, but they also tell us it's a fix as well. As God's will is revealed in his word, it renews life. Verse 7. And that makes sense because God is the God who gave life and continues to offer life in Jesus. So what else does it do? It makes the inexperienced wise. And this also makes sense because as we understand God's word, we better understand his world. God made this world and his word teaches us to live in his world. We can't look up at the stars or analyze the trees and have it tell us what God's will is for our lives. We need his word. In God's word, it also encourages us, keeps us going, makes the heart glad. Why else do we take time out every Sunday to come to church? As good as the music is, as nice as the people are, ultimately, we come to church every Sunday to hear God speak to us. Not Rowan, not Lachlan or Andrew, not your connect group leader. You come to have God convict you, challenge you, comfort you, carry you through. And he does that through his word. And it's no surprise that when the New Testament talks about what God's word does, it says 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Not just some good work, but every good work. Everything you need to know to be all that God made you to be is in this book. 
If you haven't experienced the joy of hearing God's word, then you're selling yourself short. Maybe you need to read it with others. Join a connect group. Maybe you just need to stop and listen to his word. Download the Dwell app to help you with that. Everyone here at EV has free access to Dwell. If you're not on it, then you're missing out. Maybe you need to ask yourself, what have I heard God say to me? Each week, at the bottom of the physical outlines we get for church normally, there's a box that asks that exact question. Ask yourself, ask each other, what have I heard God say to me? And it doesn't always have to be new stuff. It can be old stuff you've been reminded of or seen afresh. Now, as I looked at these verses about God's word in Psalm 19, I thought to myself, the Bible ought to be delightful. The Bible ought to be the most precious thing I own. And if that's all true, why do I not treat it that way? Why does my mind wander when I read my Bible? Why isn't it the first thing I look at in the morning? Why do I get to the second half of Exodus, you know, just start skim reading a little? You know, and I get it. Some bits of the Bible are harder to read than others. The original context is a little out there sometimes. But nothing truly special came easy. We must remind ourselves our attitude to God's word is our attitude to God himself. And the reality is we have all failed to treat God as he deserves. We don't see God as he is as perfect, as trustworthy, as right. We have sinned against God. And in the psalm, David experiences this revelation about his sin. And it's a revelation that's shared amongst God's people. This is the third revelation. A revelation in God's people. As David marvels at creation, meditates on God's word, he realizes his sin, his need for help and forgiveness. And that's what God's word does to us. God's word, illuminated by his Holy Spirit, always makes us uncomfortable before it makes us comfortable. See, in verse 11, it says, your servant is warned by them. It warns us of our future sins, the ones we want to avoid. It convicts us of our previous sins, ones we want to confess, and it exposes in us hidden sins, ones we don't even realize yet. But most importantly, it doesn't leave us there. As we encounter God through his word, we encounter Jesus. And we see Jesus stretched out on a cross, offering forgiveness free for all who trust in him. And friends, there's this strange thing that happens as we grow in our knowledge of God. The more we grow in our understanding of God's word, the more we see how sinful we really are. But at the same time, as we see more of our sin, the more we are comforted and thankful for God's word. Because it's there in his word that we see Jesus died even for me. Jesus died for me, the worst of sinners. 
And all that leads us to delight more and more in God's word. See, we might know the things we've talked about today. We know God exists. We know his word is perfect. In theory, we know these things, don't we? But do we believe it? Do we believe that God and his word is the most precious and important thing to us? Because if we believe it, we will sing it. We will pray it. We will join in on the goodness of God. And that's what the Psalms are full of. The Psalms are full of people's experiences of God's goodness. Through joys, through hardship, God's word sustains the psalmist. And we also can share how God has sustained us. That's what celebration services are all about. Not our victories, but of God's goodness. How he draws us to Jesus and sustains us in him. And see, as David ends his psalm, he turns his song into a prayer. Read with me verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The words of our mouths are powerful things, aren't they? For both good or evil. We use our words to build each other up, encourage each other, praise God. But we also use them to tear people down, gossip, tell lies. The words of our mouths reflect what's inside our hearts what we truly believe, what we truly think. So I want to ask, are the things we've seen in this psalm just things we know, things we recite? Or are they truly, as verse 14 puts, meditations of our hearts? Because if they are, you won't just say it, but you will join David and pray it. I can think of countless times where I'm guilty of just reading, just paying lip service, not singing and lifting my heart up to God. But when we pray, the wonderful thing for us is when David prays for God to cleanse him from his hidden faults, verse 12, cleanse him from his blatant rebellion, verse 13. When we pray that prayer, we know God has already done this in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, his death has washed us clean and declares us innocent before God. As we see God's glory revealed in creation, his will revealed in his word, and our sin revealed in us. How amazing is it to come before God in prayer, trusting wholly in the free gift of forgiveness we have in Jesus. What a great God we have. How good is it to be his people, to be able to share in his goodness, to sit under his word, and to enjoy not only creation, but a relationship, a relationship with our creator. Join me in making David's prayer our prayer. Let's pray together now. Dear gracious and heavenly father, you have created the heavens and the earth, and in them your glory is revealed. Your word 
It's perfect and true. And in them, your will is revealed. And we come before you now to please cleanse us from our hidden faults, to cleanse us from our blatant rebellion. Please keep your servants from willful sins. Don't let them rule over us. And may the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.